Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. Today we continue the series of release and I have got Seerat on the show today. She is a London-based trauma-informed psychotherapist um, and she's been training in the modalities of humanistic and person-centric um, psychodynamic cognitive behavioral therapies. Um, and it's really fascinating how she, she, you know, she got into this um, line of work um, and she's so passionate about it, which really comes across in our conversation. And um, as her clinical practice progressed, she realized there was a, you know, a component that was missing um, through which we view people that are suffering. And that became the start of her trauma-informed practice. And she's also a survivor of trauma, um, something that was inspired by her recovery through it, which she shares with us. And um, I think it's just going to be a great episode where we talk specifically about trauma and hopefully gain more knowledge about it and potentially different modalities of getting out of it, uh, including therapy and exercises that we can do. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Sirhat. Welcome to Unplug with Annie. Thank you so much for being on this show. I know we've been trying to make it happen for a while, so I'm glad we can finally do this. Yeah, we finally made it happen. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for having me. No, it's, it's a pleasure. And I've been following you for a while, um, as, as I do a lot of the guests that I actually call into the show. Um, and, and just because it has such a profound impact on me as, as an audience and somebody consuming the information, um, what, what, what was that beginning point for you in terms of getting into the space of, you know, psychotherapy and, um, and the work that you're doing and, and what sort of, what was that key moment, if you remember for you? Um, do you mean in terms of starting the Instagram page or, or starting in this career? Starting in the career, essentially. Yeah. I think um, I decided to train. Um, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think my biggest motivation was trying to understand what was going on for me. I think I really, really wanted to understand the human mind. Um, and at the same time, I really wanted to do something that was um, a helping, helping profession. Um, I'd been in the corporate world for quite a long time and I realized that just wasn't ethically um, I worked in insurance mm -hmm. and it just, I just had an ethical problem with, with some of it yeah. and it just wasn't for me. It's not to say, I don't think corporations are evil and, and terrible and, um, but it just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I ended up going on a night course, which was a counseling course at the local college. And I remember sitting and doing my first ever skills practice and it felt like it felt almost like the person I was doing the skills practice with came into sharp focus and the rest of the world blurred away. And um, I was just so tuned in and I thought, okay, there's, there's something here. And, and I think, I think I want to do this. I want to learn more. And that's kind of when that's where I started. Mm -hmm. And you do so a lot of the content that you post is, is uh, on the topic of, anxiety and trauma and these are things that you talk about a lot um which is very mm -hmm. real and it's it's something which i think we're openly talking about a lot more um more so now than ever before which is which is mm -hmm. great in, in in a lot of ways but talking about trauma 
it's such a like we obviously a lot of the time we have a very physical response to trauma and um you know we can talk about getting you know red flag signals or intuition and and this is another topic a lot of people are talking about and something i'm i'm trying to tackle on the series as well um mm-hmm. but then there's a lot of times where you know we are told to you know trust our minds and and think logically and not like the focus is not so much on our bodies and our bodily responses um but in terms of this what what are your thoughts on this in terms of because sometimes you know we 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 do appear completely sane in our mind and we can logically think and it doesn't take a a, a big anxiety attack to to understand whether something's right or wrong but a lot of the times our, our bodies are actually um dealing with certain symptoms or we're suffering from symptoms bodily but we tend to ignore them so in in mm-hmm. your opinion is is it a combination of focusing on both yeah so um you can approach um trauma either top down which is cerebral thought based um kind of work or bottom up which is more somatic and body based work mm-hmm. and i don't think that either should be it shouldn't be exclusionary you need both um so it, it, and i think it's it's the scaffolding of how you treat trauma tends to be the same for each person but the bricks and mortar of what you do with each person is dependent on what they've been through so um for instance if somebody's been in combat or someone's been through child sexual abuse you would really 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 be careful with with um giving them back their agency never like really keep keep a physical distance because their body is is um is going to be frightened sometimes their body will react before the mind even sort of realizes you make sure that they really really genuinely give consent for everything that's happening in the work um versus somebody who perhaps was maybe went through enmeshment as a child and then and then perhaps it's more um talking through it mhm so yeah. it it does change change from person to person it yeah. really does and i don't um i don't particularly believe that any modality has got it right i i believe in practitioners not not in modalities mhm and and obviously when you finish uh, when you essentially when you do a one on one session with someone and obviously that person is in the room with you there is a sense of being able to i suppose control the outcome because it's it's there right in front of you and you're able to perhaps implement strategies um which then can be hard to to replicate when a person leaves the room and sort of has to do it on their own you know suddenly um in, commit to that process of healing in whatever way that is and especially with things like anxiety i mean i'm talking to a lot of friends and people who generally who are speaking more openly about suffering through through certain forms of anxiety and and having bodily responses like um and i think in my experience i definitely get increased heart rate and things like that and yeah. you just you know in the moment you can recognize that you're you know you're not mm. okay you're not feeling okay is there anything any any very practical very basic things that one can do in the moment when you know you have that awareness that okay some, something's wrong right now what what would that immediate thing be that you would say to focus on to sort of get back to a state of of, of balance and stability i guess so there's a lot um in regards to controlling the outcome in the room i think you wouldn't um 
because controlling the outcome would sort of be um, like trying to put 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 uh, a timeline or an agenda on the client. So you wouldn't you'd you'd, you'd see what comes up because people are in, people are in different places different different um, and have been through been through different stuff. And in terms of um, if you start to notice the bodily symptoms of anxiety, mm -hmm. I think. Um, the most common answer tends to be breath work, but I find the most powerful thing is to stop resisting it. Mm. Because that resistance, it sort of worsens the anxiety. It's, 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 um, it's, it's locking horns basically with the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing that, if you just relax and resist and, and something I used to say to myself, um, that my dad taught me actually, it's not clinical intervention because he suffers from anxiety, was um, he said that anxiety, he said, I've had it for so long and you always think that it's going to do something terrible to you and it never does. And so he, he started to say to his anxiety in his mind, do your worst, you can't do anything to me. And then I started to say that myself. And that was quite, quite a, big, a big change. It was sort of not just resisting it, but taking the power away from it. It's right. not a clinical intervention, but it definitely works. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously, like the healing process is, is, is a long process or very different for, you know, every kind yeah. of person, depending on the situation. Um, but can, can healing happen when we're not sort of consciously engaged in the process? Or do we have to be in this very conscious space of I'm aware that I'm feeling this and I need to heal? if that makes sense um so i don't i don't think healing happens by accident i think it needs intentionality behind it um it also depends on so there's so many variables in this because it, it depends what happened you know if i if i um if i kick you in the shin then you don't need to intentionally heal from you know it, 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 you'll just heal mm. but um if you've been through combat yeah you need to put put intentionality into that so it really I know those are slightly farcical examples, mm. but you do need to kind of, um, I think intentionality is important. Paying attention is important. I don't like to use the word consciousness too much because, um, well, one of the biggest debates is what is consciousness? We don't know. And um, it's one of those words that has an implicit meaning. So if I say consciousness, I might just mean awareness. If somebody else says consciousness, they might mean something spiritual yeah um someone else might be referring to aliens i don't know but um we haven't quite we haven't quite worked out what a lot of these things mean yeah so i don't like to be too liberal with my use of them but i think paying attention to what's happening in your mind mm. and and paying attention to what's happening in your body both those things tend to be um tend to be quite good ideas if you're trying to heal from something yeah and, and similarly i mean you were talking about consciousness but um when, when we're referring to shame or when you do talk about shame in your content um in your content sorry um can you clarify just exactly what we are referring to when we or should be referring to when we, we're talking about this is it is this in terms of like us carrying blame for, for our mistakes or others mistakes is that the, the shame that we're referring to I think the best definition I've ever come across about shame has been by, um, by well, the world's foremost shame researcher, Brené Brown. And um, um, 
sort of well in my own language the, the her but it's her definition is that um when when you feel guilty about something it's you're guilty about an action that's outside of yourself when you feel ashamed or feel shame about something it's you've conflated the action with your identity so it's not i made a mistake it's i am the mistake and right. that is shame yeah hmm. yeah and interestingly what i have found is is that 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 kind of creeps up on us and it becomes i don't know whether it's, it's yeah. an inbuilt thing um yeah i i feel a lot of the times we we justify other people's behaviors um out of what mm. we think is you know love and um yeah. by doing that we do a lot of damage to ourselves and you know there's a lot of people offering advice where it, it, it's you know if, if someone is stepping outside what is your boundaries the best thing to do is is to cut ties um, but how do we how how do we become more aware of what that limitation point is? But should there be limitation points that we set ourselves? Because um, I think a lot of the time we get we get caught up in something potentially toxic, but believing in the potential of it or that it would turn around. Um, and and from the outside, another person would say that you know you're being sort of blind and stupid to this realization that's never going to come. You know um, that mm. that there is there should be a limitation point, and once it's crossed, we we can't we can no longer justify another person's behavior. First of all, you're not blind or stupid. Mm. Um, we're just human. And it's very normal that when, when you love someone or really care for someone and have pinned hopes on some kind of future with them and you've imagined things, that you want a good outcome and you want things to work out. That's super, that's, that's extremely human, yeah. it's extremely normal and it's universal. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it's not an, it has nothing to do with, with intelligence. Um, you know, we're, we're wired for connection. We evolved in tribes. We didn't, we didn't evolve as evolve as islands i think i said evolve really funny there <laughs> um, yeah. and and so yeah setting boundaries is important um because um there's there's a book called where to draw the line and she describes boundaries as a membrane that essentially keeps out what isn't good for you or what you don't want and keeps in what you do mm. um and you know boundaries isn't necessarily about i think there's so many, so many misconceptions about boundaries in general. You don't even have to call them boundaries. Mm. Um, you can call them what, what you call them, Fred. <laughs> but um, you know, it's 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 not about policing other people's behavior. It's about being very, very clear to yourself mm. about um, what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. Because if you haven't named it, um, especially if you've if you've been through trauma. Or like us, if you're um, an Indian woman who's been conditioned and um, socialized in a certain way, you might not know what you're okay with. So yeah. sometimes naming that is really, really important. Otherwise, you, you, you can often end up in a position where people do all sorts of things to you. And um, you just know, well, this doesn't feel good, but I, I guess it's okay. I don't know. Is it okay? Um, but if you've been very explicit with yourself about these are the things that I'm okay with, then, then you have a framework. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, no, I think that is good because it is something which I feel like when we're never really taught, um, at, you know, this, this isn't a topic that we talk about in school, in our education, and it's something you're sort of, you, mm. you get let out into the world and you kind of have to figure out what this framework is. And um, yeah, and you, you, you have said that, that we, you know, we can find solace in familiar suffering um yeah so, so so how do we learn to to put a stop on the suffering when, when it is something that we know is it just a matter of becoming aware and like you said building a framework from scratch um well you can't you can't end suffering because we're people and people sometimes suffer and that's that's just life mm. um when it comes to to choosing familiar suffering um I think that's sort of it's developing a reflective practice so that just means paying a lot of attention to so if you have a thought or um you find yourself in a relationship and you think actually this person really reminds me of how my mom treated me mm. and that's possibly not a very good parallel based on your history for example um uh being able to kind of drill back and see that um is a good idea so when you see it then you, you pull yourself out of it mm. um because there aren't any magic answers i think that's something as well that is quite important to say yeah. we we do our best we learn through trial and error and there aren't there for, for some of this stuff there isn't there isn't a neat neat answer with a with a pretty bow around it it's you do your best and you do your best with what you what you have mm -hmm. um and when you know better you do better and um but but when it comes to um attraction i think if you've been through trauma and it's untreated um or you know you sort of feel that you're still suffering through a lot of a lot of um trauma symptoms and trauma responses then i'd be very very wary of the people you feel viscerally attracted to because mm -hmm. the body's um you know neuroception and and um we're wired to seek the familiar and the evolutionary reason for that is that if you've been through it already your sort of subconscious and your nervous system is saying well i've weathered this this threat so i can weather it again mm. as opposed to the unknown which yeah. um which which well it's the unknown that's that's almost always far more frightening yeah and do you think this is something that people can learn to do without that without the help of therapy or a second person or, or, or do you in in your opinion and, and through the work that you've done do you feel that it, it, it depends on the individual entirety or do you feel that this is something which actually does need and require aid and guidance and it's not something that you can really read in a book and start applying yourself i i'm not sure you can read it in a book and start to apply it um and it's difficult for me to say because all the people that I've, I've worked with, I've worked with in a clinical setting. So they've had therapy. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had, like in the UK, you can't qualify unless you have weekly therapy the whole time you're studying. So that's a shit ton of therapy. So mm -hmm. I've had therapy. I'm still in therapy because I just think it's good practice if you're seeing people mm -hmm. um, clinically. And um, I've also just, I, I think I, I'm, my leanings are quite introspective so i will i tend to sort of um i'm introverted and introspected so i, I sort of 
we'll go we'll examine stuff quite a lot and pick pick apart stuff and you know um wonder what's going on ask questions and that's just sort of who i am as a as a person i'd say mm -hmm. so it's difficult to say because there's so many different variables in me being someone who can almost almost automatically figure out what um and this is probably years of practice but i can i can say okay um annie looked at me funny okay i know exactly where that's coming from you know right. it's nothing to do with annie i know i know where it's coming from yeah um, but that 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 does take um take practice and i think as long as someone can teach you how to do it and then you practice it yeah you can keep doing it but it's it's like um like everything else in life you get out of it where you put in yeah absolutely and for you what has that process been like for you in terms of the impact it's had on on your life was there any significant moments for you where it really just helped you change or uh, you know change the steering wheel direction of your life if you like um because of that engagement with therapy which you would not have have been able to do or maybe you didn't even see it yourself yeah. and it just took somebody else to um well for one probably so i've had therapy at different times in my life with with different therapists because um there were quite different times when i was a teenager i had a bit of therapy and when i was in my early 20s and then when i went back to study um and now again i have a so um it it different therapists give you different things because obviously um it, it's still a human being delivering it and who they are does come through in the therapy and um there was a therapist i saw when i first started to to study again and she was very psychodynamic which is sort of derivative of um psychoanalytic think freud and young theory and i work a lot in that way too um and she was asking me about something i was upset by and she kept kind of drilling into it and we found the um we found where it came from and it was such a surprising response such a surprising answer that it sort of was like okay she just blew my mind hole <laughs> i thought about it for ages mm. and um and that was definitely a bit of a turning point when i thought okay i see exactly i understand now i understand the mechanism and for me anyway when i understand where something's coming from it it completely changes how i feel about it mm. yeah i know because when you're just sort of aggravated and upset and you don't know why that that confusion it 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 adds to your suffering when you understand where it's coming from it changes your relationship yeah yeah no for sure and another thing that i feel a lot of people um struggle with is that letting go of of control and i like i find myself being quite or at least i have been at certain periods of my life more of a sort of control freak and wanting to control the outcome yeah. and um and finding it really difficult to sort of like surrender to the process um so yeah. if if you had to get, give any advice for this this i mean not not surrendering in the sense of obviously sitting and not doing anything about it and <laughs> yeah. and that way but surrendering in the sense that i suppose there's a certain point with everything that you you do give your best and you know you're mm. you know you're working towards it and there's only so much you can do um and then yeah. kind of yeah being able to not i suppose have that attachment to things um the unhealthy mm -hmm. type of attachment 
Um, so is there certain things that we can do to, to be able to, you know, be in that process or do that process better, essentially? Um, so the first thing is that we control things when we feel out of control. Mm. So what you want to look at is the, the out of control feeling, not the thing that you're trying to control. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, people that engage in controlling behaviors of any kind, like controlling your food, compulsively exercising, being very tidy, controlling people. It's, um, it's an attempt to manufacture a sense of security, but it's a synthetic sense of security. It's not actually, and it's very short lived, which is why then it creates a feedback loop. Mm. So understanding that and, and sort of willingly, gently practicing, not controlling those things, can sort of loosen the grip that feedback loop has on you yeah um and in terms of controlling outcomes i'd say so an example that comes to mind is is my instagram page and i went through a period of um of getting very caught up in likes and follows and all those things and the the, the, the platform set up for that you know it's set up for you to be um like pavlovian and salivating <laughs> and in a constant dopamine feedback loop yeah. and um and there was a, there was a post i did that was so badly received that it limited my reach for a few days and i got genuinely quite upset and i was talking to um, my partner about it and i was just saying how weird is this an app in my phone is is impacting my real life and we kind of talked about it because both of us have the view of um Instagram is just an app in your phone, like have some perspective. Yeah. And um, yeah, and um, we talked about how it was upsetting me that, that this post of mine was sort of taken the wrong way. Because the other thing that happens a lot on Instagram is straw manning, which is like a logical fallacy where, um, you know, you distort somebody's, um, what someone's saying, you distort their argument. Mm. Um, sort of like willfully misunderstand it and then you attack the misunderstood thing rather than the actual argument mm. um and there's so much there that that you can't control and we're trying to control when we get and i think i just um i gave myself sort of a day or two and even that was quite sort of mind-boggling to me i thought of two days i'm upset because of an app in my phone and um and then my my decision was i'm gonna do my best to make the best content i can make and feel really proud that I can put my name on it and everything else I'm not, I'm not worrying about anymore. And that's what I've done. And that's completely, not completely, because you still get caught up in it. And still, if the post does well, you're like, oh, yay, <laughs> dopamine. <laughs> and um, yeah. everyone wants to be received well. That's just human and normal. But my sort of um, the underpinnings of how I approach Instagram now is just make the best content I can make behave ethically and and don't worry too much about the rest yeah yeah which i think is, mm. is i i think yeah it's so relevant to talk about instagram and it's, it's in conversations i'm having all the time but um yeah. it, it applies to everything which i think is, is is true i think you you do want to that sense of being able to release something um after when you know that you're you're serving your purpose um for sure and just I mean, to, to kind of like wind down, I mean, another question that I, I'm really 
finding very interesting to talk about is the dynamic of people together. So when we're in relationships with other people, whether friendships or partners or whatever that is, parents. I mean, obviously, when another person comes into the equation and decision making and, and just communication and so many things, it, 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 it's um, definitely more complicated because we all come from different thought processes. And then we use this word compatibility quite easily. You know, it's, it's, it's thrown out there. It's used in a lot of context. And I'm just always curious as to whether it ever really comes down to is there a lot more involved than just compatibility? Because essentially, I just feel like it's a term where we kind of use to justify something not working. Oh, it's, you know, it's just, yeah, it's not compatible. But is it, it does, does that really exist in, in our, in these relationship dyma dynamics? Or is it just really about a whole bunch of other things? Like, you know, your upbringing being different, your, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think um, I think when you try kind of sort of like look at that word a little bit closer, what does compatibility really mean? That you you get on well, you like the same things. Um, if we go a bit deeper, maybe you have compatible attachment styles. Mm. Um, what about you know? I think on paper, compatibility is probably a similar socioeconomic class, maybe similar life goals maybe a similar enough cultural background that you you have a shorthand rather than having to explain everything in long form mm. you know um perhaps it's 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 liking the same stuff like we both like to go to the pub on sunday and watch rugby um i i, I don't like to watch rugby just <laughs> but do you know yeah do you know what i mean just yeah yeah you have those things and we both like to go on holiday to the same places. So it's quite superficial in many ways. Yeah. Um, I think if you sort of want to drill down to it really, really well, because once people are attracted to each other, all that goes out of the window, doesn't it? It does. If you, if you really like, yeah. And then it, and then it's just, you, you either have a confirmation bias where you find things and because you're looking for things, you find them. Mm. Um, or people find ways to make it work and people do make it work. So I think what, what, what perhaps matters more is um, similar ideology, maybe. And then if you think about the big five per, um, personality tests, so are you both sort of agreeable? Or is one of you agreeable and one of you disagreeable? Um, but two disagreeables won't, won't, probably wouldn't work that well. You know, mm -hmm. some of those traits might, might have something to do with it. And I'm sure there's a literature out there, I'm just probably not that familiar with it, but I think, um, I think as well, someone to look at is John Gottman, because he's got quite a lot of um, interesting stuff on on relationships. Um, yeah, it's it's different schools of thought seem to either look at it as your inherent traits make you compatible, and then people like John Gottman say, oh, "No, it's your behavioural traits that make you compatible." And I suspect it's probably a mix mixture of the two true and obviously i mean and 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 effort and and the, and whether you're willing to mm -hmm. to modify yeah yeah definitely and, and and actually yeah you touched upon on upon the point actually by saying that an effort and willingness because i i feel like essentially there's so much great content going out there you know there's a lot of even the things that you're posting creating awareness of you know how one is feeling and obviously if if one partner or one person in that relationship equation is doing the work and the other person isn't, 
um, mm. I think obviously that ultimately creates this imbalance. Um, yeah. But but it does seem like very conscious work. I mean, you know, all of all of the all of the things in order to get better does seem like very conscious action and very conscious work. And and like you said earlier as well, just how much you put into it and practice. Mm. Yeah, I think it's um, it's sort of um, willingness and um, and 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 being okay with being wrong. I think sometimes when you're in a relationship, you you want to make each other bend to your will. So no, I think the bed should be in this corner because I feel so strongly in in my convictions of this is where a bed should be in a bedroom. You know, we get really silly. Yeah. Um. And I think for any kind of longevity, you want to be okay with compromising on those stupid little things that don't really have any meaning. And then on some of the bigger stuff, be able to be very transparent and have conversations and, and, and probably just use a little bit of sense. If, if somebody, for example, is, you know, some sort of a white supremacist, I'm not going to do well in a relationship with them. So Sometimes you find people that are just wildly incompatible. Um, yeah. And if I, if I see them in my work, you just sometimes think, well, you know, I'll, I'll see you if you really, really think you want therapy together, but you really kind of need to break up. <laughs> this isn't going anywhere. Right. Kind of, right. Um, is, that hard, yeah. is that hard then for you to, when you see that, um, obviously, how much you of course you're going to put in your work and do your job but is it hard for you to to see things so clearly and 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 not want to control it almost it can be sometimes but i think that's the role of having had um why we have so much therapy in this country before you qualify is that you can take yourself out of it pretty easily mm. so um you can bracket it off and um, I think that's why we, we have just talk about our feelings ad nauseum while we're doing our academic work. Um, and yeah, you just have to, it's not about you. You can't put your agenda into it, but you can also be transparent in terms of your duty of care to these people mm. and in being ethical and um, trying to want the best for them is that if you've worked with someone for a while or a couple for a while, and it's really, really obvious that um, yeah, this isn't this isn't going to go anywhere. Um, that you kind of say, well, this is a little bit what I'm feeling. What do you guys think? Um, leave room to to be wrong and for them to correct you because um, that that's quite important that people feel they have a voice. Yeah. And um, yeah, so like be honest, but but like not a douche. Like be diplomatic with that with the honesty. Mm, mm, so interesting well it was it was so interesting chatting with you and and talking about this in a sort of different uh space and i just uh want to say thank you for, for taking time out and coming oh, on <laughs> and um, it's my pleasure yeah it was it was so great and i really hope that this series sort of speaks to a lot of people i think it's just for me like being able to create this awareness is, is such a great thing um so yeah thank you Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me on.
And that was the end of an episode of the series of release. I will be back next Sunday with another episode from the same series as we continue this journey, primarily focused on relationships, on healing, on self-love. And I'm super excited for you to tune in to more episodes with a lot more new guests. I can promise you that you're going to take something away from all of these episodes and all of the amazing people that I'm going to be talking to. And meanwhile, you can stay updated with everything Unplug on the Instagram page, Unplug with Annie, and on the Facebook page, Unplug with Annie. You can also go to the website and sign up for the emails if you haven't already, which is www.unplugwithannie.com.